So returning to verse 11 of chapter 5, we read, About this we have much to say. About what? Well, Hebrews has just been talking about the fact that Jesus is the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, uh, not the order of Aaron. All Jewish priests were descendants of Aaron, or they were supposed to be, and that was the Aaronic priesthood. Uh, but Jesus is from the in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, and we'll learn more about him in chapter 7, but Melchizedek is kind of this obscure figure from the time of Abraham uh, to whom Abraham uh, paid a tithe. And so Hebrews is saying Jesus is uh, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And, and so he wants, he has a whole lot more he wants to say about this. But it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. It's, it's not that this is a super complex theological point that's difficult to explain and understand. The reason it's difficult to explain is because of the attitude of the hearers. They've become dull of hearing. Other texts say, you become lazy. Uh, you're, you sort of tune me out when I start to talk about more complex theological things. Uh, you just, you're content with the basics. And so when I start to talk about something like Jesus is uh, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, you're like, oh, and your eyes glaze over, right? And so it's hard to talk to you when your eyes are glazing over, is what he's saying. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. So he's writing to uh, Christians who've been Christians for a while. And he's like, you're not new Christians, and by this time, in fact, you ought to be teachers. Had you been uh, learning at, an, an, a, at a kind of normally expected rate, you, you should already be able to turn around and teach other people. It's not that he's thinking every Christian to whom he's writing should become a teacher in the church, but you ought to be able to if called upon. You certainly ought to be able to teach other people privately, and you ought to teach your kids and your friends, right? For, by, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Uh, you're, unfortunately, you haven't grown, you haven't matured, and you're, you're still needing to be reminded of the basics. And this is a, uh, this is, this is a scold, right? He's, he's not, uh, he's, this is not applauding, this is saying, ah, Come on, guys. You need milk, not solid food. Who needs milk? Infants, right? Babies. You're baby Christians, and you shouldn't be by now. You know, it's one thing if you just get back from a young life camp and you, you gave your life to Christ two weeks ago. Of course you're a baby Christian. But no, you guys have been Christians for a while. You should have grown in the Lord. You should have been uh, munching on some some good, robust theology, and instead you're still trying to master the basics. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Uh, a fundamental mark of spiritual immaturity is your lack of skill with regard to the Bible. 
you don't know God's Word. You're, you're unskilled with it because you haven't been uh, chewing on it. You haven't been studying. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This past week, I spent a few days at the Russian River. Every, every year, the Mariner family, minus Brother Jim, he commercial fishes, and so he's always gone. But I had three of his uh, kids with me uh, out at the Russian River, and we camp. And so I got to spend a few, week, a few days, I uh, wish, a few weeks, a few days fishing the Russian. And I had the, the privilege of introducing Dallin, my, uh, the eldest nephew, who's always commercial fished with his dad, and this is the first year he was... He was at the rush and able to fish. So I got, to, I got the privilege of introducing him to the, the delicate snagging, the, the technical snagging of these sockeyes, right? And uh, we marched up to the upper marker, crossed over, and Dallin played about 20 salmon. And, he, and the reason he played 20 salmon is because I stood at his right hip and told him, throw it at noon. Give me six more inches. Reel it in a foot. Eleven and a half. Eleven, uh, eleven thirty. Eleven. And Dallin marveled. He kept saying, Uncle Mike, how do you see these fish? Uh, he had, he had the polarized glasses on, just like I did. He had the hat on, but he couldn't see a thing. And he's like, I can't see anything in there. How are you seeing these fish? It was, it's because for decades I've practiced discerning the difference between the gray shape of a sockeye and that of a rock. And so I could see him, and he was looking in the same water with an untrained eye and saying, I don't see anything. So let me reread. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. A mark of spiritual maturity is your ability to appraise the world around you and see in it what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false, what is good and what is evil, what is of God and what is not of God. And that doesn't come automatically. It comes by constant practice. And over time, as we study the Word of God and then think deeply about the things of God. As we look at the, you know, we say, what does God, uh, what does the Bible teach me about how to be a husband, how to be a wife? What does the Bible say about how I should conduct myself at work? Uh, what does God's Word teach me about how I should spend my time and what's worthy of my energies and uh, how I should stress or not stress or how I should walk through this illness? or the, uh, the economic downturn, and uh, how should I, what does the Bible say about um, this science class I'm in, and how to, how to appraise what my professors are teaching me, and on and on it goes. The more that we become skilled with the Word of God and appraise the world around us in light of God's Word, uh, we are developing powers of discernment, and it matures us spiritually. It's a path to spiritual maturity, and it's a mark of spiritual maturity. But unfortunately, 
according to Hebrews, his Christian audience, he's sort of talking as if the majority of them aren't there. They're still spiritual infants. And they're, they're just drinking milk. And they're not, they're not doing this hard work. You know, God is opposed to earning. He is not opposed to effort. It's a very important distinction. God, God is all about effort, right? First Peter, or Second Peter chapter one, verse five, make every effort to add to your faith. And then he gives a string of virtues. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being unproductive in the Christian faith. God is not opposed to effort. He applauds effort. It's, he's opposed to earning. You're not going to earn God's blessing. You're not going to earn God's favor. But boy, uh, he expects us to put something in to the Christian life uh, he, and, and not to be lazy spiritually. Chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of, and then a string of things. Now, he's not saying uh, cry, leave Christ, let, you know, somehow that's not important. No, that's the foundation. You've got to lay the foundation, and you build upon the foundation. Um, but, but don't just spend your whole life trying to build the foundation. You're intended to build a house, a house that uh, glorifies the Lord and is, is beautiful. And people can look at and say, oh, that's what it looks like uh, to have a relationship with God. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of. And now here he lists six things. They are uh, three pairs. Everybody agrees what the first two are, and everybody agrees what the last two are, but the middle two, uh, there's debate about. So let me go first two and last two. The first two have to do with conversion. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Repentance from dead works. It's not um, good works that you're doing trying to get saved. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about Wicked things, evil deeds that lead to death, and then faith in God. So this is when we talk about how do you become a Christian, we say you repent of your sins and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about, conversion. And then that's the beginning of the Christian life. And the last two talk about the end of the Christian life, namely the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Everyone will rise from the dead someday and stand before God to be judged. And if you're a Christian, praise God, you are declared uh, righteous because the blood of Christ uh, has paid for your sins and the righteous life of Christ is credited to your account. And God says, welcome, come into my rest. Be with me forever. Awesome. And for those who don't know Christ, unfortunately, they stand before God uh, based on their own deeds and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they will heal, depart from me. I don't know you. And that's a terrible thing. And so those that we love, um, we need to be praying for them. We need to be sharing the gospel with them uh, because we want them to be with us in heaven forever. Now, the middle two, probably 
logically probably have to do with the Christian life. And they are the laying um, instruction about washings and the laying on of hands. Instruction about washings, the actual word there is uh, baptisms. If it just said baptism, everybody would say, oh, it's talking about Christian baptism. But it's plural, uh, instruction about baptisms. Probably this has to do with uh, the Judaism at this time had lots of uh, rituals about washings and what that makes you ritually clean and cleansing, and probably has to do with the Christian teaching on, you know, baptism uh, is the only washing we need, right? Because then we're washed in the blood of Christ. Laying on of hands, uh, there are multiple reasons for laying on the hands, commissioning people, blessing people. Po- probably that ha- this has to do with uh, the laying on of hands by the apostles and the, re- uh, the uh, receipt of the Holy Spirit. So we're taught, probably it's referring to conversion, baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit, uh, resurrection from the dead, and and ultimate judgment. So the, the basics, which Hebrews is saying the majority of Christians, at least if his, in his day, and I, it's probably no different today, the majority of Christians are content with the basics. Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. My sins are forgiven. What more do I need? and move on with life. And so this text is saying, don't be content with just the basics. There's so much more God has for you. Please uh, move past the milk. Start chewing on some deeper theology. And today what I want to talk about is uh, why. What is lost by remaining a spiritual infant? So the big point, first off, let's just identify the big point. Here's the big point. Unfortunately, some Christians never grow up spiritually. That's what he's saying. Uh, There are Christians who remain babies their entire life. They remain spiritual infants. And you've probably met these people. You're like, you've been a Christian for what? You've been a Christian for 20 years? And inside you're thinking, I, had, I would never have guessed that. Uh, you act like you barely know Jesus. Uh, and so there are Christians, probably, you know, according to this text, it would suggest quite a few Christians who content themselves with uh, just becoming Christians, and, and, and that's all they seem to be interested in. They become lazy with the Christian life. And, and that here is um, certainly... Uh, challenged, and they're being encouraged to please grow up spiritually. Uh, it's good for you. It's good for the church, and the world needs the world needs mature Christians. So, let me talk now a bit about um, what are the drawbacks of remaining a spiritual infant. And I I think of three drawbacks that just jump out at me. Uh, the drawbacks of remaining a spiritual infant. Number one. Infants are at greater risk. When you think about a little baby, you think about this little uh, at-risk bundle. That if you if you're not protecting them, there something bad's going to happen. Some predator will come in, or that you've got to be feeding them. They're just they need to protected, and so they're at risk. And the the Bible uh, tells us that Satan is a roaring lion 
uh, roaming around seeking whom he can devour. Uh, He's after the baby Christians because they're easy prey. We're told in Ephesians that we're to put on the full armor of God so that we can resist in the day of temptation. Stand up to the evil one. Well, how's a little baby going to put on the full armor of God? In fact, if you remember, the primary uh, purpose of Hebrews is to warn Christians who are undergoing persecution and who are tempted to sort of retreat from their Christian distinctive back into the safer arms of Mother Judaism, because if we just kind of back away from our Christian distinctive, then we will get out of the crosshairs of persecution. Hebrews is written to say, don't do that. Don't back away from Jesus. Uh, God is now only saving the world through his son. And if you abandon Christ, uh, you abandon God. And look at all the great stuff you have in Jesus. Why in the world would you want to back away from that? And so uh, part of his part of the concern here is, listen, if you guys don't grow up spiritually, you're at greater risk spiritually. You're at greater risk of, uh, you know, of falling away, of of not believing that Jesus is worth the pain, right? Not believing that your faith is worth uh, worth the risk and the hardship. I had, um, you know, baby Christians are uh, certainly more at risk of of heresy and cults, and you know they don't they don't they know the basics. Or at least they're they're trying to get the basics down, and then a cult comes in and feeds them ninety five percent of the truth and ten percent lie, and they're like, "Oh, that sounds right." Uh, I, there was a young man uh, when I was a youth pastor, and I liked him. He was just great. He but um, married young, and uh, shortly after getting married, he and his wife got caught up in one of these uh, kind of Christian cults, Boston Church of Christ, or some derivative of that, and it was tragic. It was tragic to see. You grow up spiritually. You become skilled uh, with the word of righteousness. You become much more inoculated to the cults. Um, baby Christians are, are much more susceptible to the uh, worldview of the culture, of the culture around us, which, as Sabrina mentioned, is just drifting farther and farther away from uh Biblical teaching, farther and farther away from God and his righteousness. Well, if you're a baby Christian or a spiritual infant and uh, you're not skilled with the word of God, well, the logic of the world uh, sounds quite good. So, for example, you might think, oh, well, I've, you know, I I know that the Bible tells me I'm supposed to love everybody and I'm supposed to uh, treat them the way I would want to be treated and I'm supposed to be compassionate and kind and so then you confront something like this, uh, uh, the, the gender-neutral bathrooms. And you're like, well, hey, shouldn't we just let people, you know, shouldn't people just be able to f- uh, follow their heart? And I should just uh, applaud that and love them and support them. That sounds Christian. Well, that's not very skilled with the Word of God because the Word of God gives us, um, it gives us general values, and then it gives us particular applications. And if you knew the Word of God more, you'd be able to parse out and say, no, uh, the loving thing isn't just to let people do whatever they want to do. Sometimes you have to confront and say, hey, that's not healthy for you. You shouldn't do that. That's not good for society. So 
spiritual infants are at greater risk. Well, what about, uh, here's the second thing. Infants, infants are takers, not givers, right? There's, I've never seen an infant go feed another infant. <laughs> uh, infants sit around and say, help me, I'm needy, uh, take care of me. And so what if you have a church that's filled with spiritual infants? You just got a bunch of takers, right? Who's taking care of the sheep? Well, but as, as uh, Christians grow spiritually, then they can become caretakers for each other. And so uh, a, a church that's filled with spiritual infants is weak and anemic and, uh, and can't do a good job caring for new Christians who come in. In fact, I, I, I think that God won't honor uh, if I'm God, I would be thinking, I'm not going to send new converts to that church because they're not going to be cared for, right? And we want the privilege. We want the privilege of people coming to Christ and coming here, and we get, a, we get the opportunity to build into them. If you're a parent, let me... If you are a, a parent and you're a spiritual infant, what do you have to pass on to your children? If you pass anything on, you're passing on an infantile uh, Christianity. And so, yeah, your, your, your child gets the super basics, right? You know, you got to believe in Jesus, and you should get baptized, and, and someday, you know, you're going to go to heaven. Awesome. And that's all true. Uh, the baby is alive. I'm not, they're alive. But... Uh, but you're passing on infantile faith, and then your child gets out into the world, and you wonder, why, why do so many Christian kids sort of fall away? Or, or Christian kids, they're Christian in name, but you're like, your life looks just like the world around you. Because that you, that you've been, they've been passed on in infantile Christianity. Contrast that with someone like Susanna Wesley. Uh, she's the mother of uh, John Wesley and Charles Wesley. She lived in kind of mid-1700s. And this was a mature Christian woman who passed on a mature faith. And so it's no wonder that two of her kids became, you know, famous Christians. Uh, her husband was a uh, pastor with the Church of England. And I read a little bit about him. He's not impressive at all. Susanna Wesley, she was impressive. He was like, what? Who is this guy? He got mad at her one year for some little minor thing and then lived apart from her for a year because she made him mad. And he, uh, he bankrupted the family trying to come out with his commentary on the book of Job, which never sold anything. But his wife, who's trying to make up for the slack, she would create these little uh, Sunday school lessons for her own children. She had... Uh, nine who survived into adulthood, they were like sold like wild cakes. So she, she's pretty awesome. So she writes her husband while he's living away from her, uh, hey, just so you know, here's what I'm doing to uh, rear the children that you have abandoned. No, she doesn't say that. Um, but she said, each night I take one kid, sit down and spend quality, you know, one-on-one -on -one time uh, to talk about their soul. Isn't that awesome? She passed on a mature a mature faith to her children, and, and uh, they grew up and made a difference. So infants are at greater risk spiritually 
infants are takers, not givers. By the way, you get you you know you stand before God someday, and He's like, hey, okay, uh, what did you do with your life? And you don't have anything to show for it because you were lazy, and you just were content with you know being a Christian with the very basics, and so you don't have much to show. But we want to stand before Christ and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Man, you leveraged the time that I gave you. You leveraged the life that I gave you. You made a difference for the kingdom of God. Because of you, the kingdom of God expanded on earth. Well done. That's awesome. Right? We want that. So then finally, uh, infants, this one I want you to think a little bit about. Infants have a limited experience of the world. Infants are alive, but their experience of the world is very limited, isn't it? It's kind of just the little circle around them. It's very much about them. And it's only as you grow up that you become more aware of how big the world is, and you enter into it, and you realize this is challenging. It's dynamic. Yeah, it's hard at times. It hurts at times. But it's definitely not boring. And so infantile Christians, uh, by the way, if you asked a little baby, you know, hey, do you know you're missing out on uh, this big bad world? They don't have a clue, right? They don't know what they're missing out on. Well, infantile Christians are, are having a very limited experience of the Christian life. They're, and unfortunately, they're unaware of it. But there is a, there's a, so much more to being a Christian and so much more to to God and what he has for us. In fact, God is limitless, and you can't plumb the depths of God and uh, the Christian life. No matter how old you get or how mature you get, there's still more. It's always fascinating. And, and so you, you miss out on so much as a Christian if you're lazy and you don't grow and you don't put in to, to the spiritual life. You, you ever sat there and listened to somebody giving her testimony or um, talking about the spiritual life, and you're thinking, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never been there. That just is so foreign to me, you know. Uh, well, that can be a motivator, that there's, there's, more, there's more that God has uh, for you that you've yet to step into. But one of the things that this passage is saying is that spiritual growth doesn't just happen. It doesn't come with, you know, time. It comes with effort. You've got to be chewing on the solid food, and that's a decision you make, a choice you make. And it, and it, takes, it takes effort. But it's effort that pays off and that's worth it. I'll tell you, I, uh, I have never regretted any effort that I have put toward my relationship with Christ and growing as a Christian. I want to end with this story. Uh, one, of the, one of the mature Christian men in my life is Chris Kefalos. You guys, many of you know Chris. Chris is 44. Chris never did not become a Christian until he was 30 years old. And I was uh, friends with Chris pretty early on in his Christian life. And I've always felt like I was talking to a spiritual peer. 
from the time he was like three or four years into Christ, which is amazing. Why? Chris never went to Bible college. Uh, he likes to say, I have, last time I read a book cover to cover, it was like, you know, other than the Bible, it was like when I was in grade school. And, but Chris, here's one of his phrases. He says, I, I strive to think deeply about the things of God. He reads his Bible, and he, he is constantly thinking about life and asking the question, what does the Word of God say about this? And so I can engage Chris. You know, one of the reasons we're such great friends is we're, uh, our friendship is uh, largely about ideas. And I can ask Chris virtually any topic, and he's already thought through about uh, how, how the Word of God applies. And, and I find it you know, deep and brilliant. So what's my point? My point is, you know, it's, it's not about how long you've been a Christian. It's about the trajectory. And, and uh, if you make an effort, it's amazing how quickly you can mature as a Christian. And then your life uh, is not unprofitable, right? It begins to make a difference. And, you know, uh, Chris grew so fast that I think he was an elder. He, he was an elder at Change Point, like seven years into his Christian, into his Christian walk, which is pretty awesome. The point of this passage is clearly to motivate us to grow spiritually and not to be content with um, the basics or with being a juvenile Christian. So God would be most pleased if our response today is to say, God, I am recommitting myself to growing. I am saying no to laziness. And I'm not going to just sip on the milk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chew on the, uh, on, the, on the more difficult topics. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to discern and practice uh, applying your word to life. And so if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes and bowing your head just so you can it's, uh, take some time with the Lord. What is one very practical thing you can do this week to promote spiritual growth in your life? Maybe it's, I'm going to read my Bible 10 minutes a day this week. Maybe it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to three uh, sermons, podcast sermons. I'm going to join a journey group. I'm going to get a, uh, I'm going to read Hebrews. We're in Hebrews. I'm going to read Hebrews three times this week. Maybe it's a discipline that you have in the past and you've let, you've let it slide and, and you know that when you were keeping that discipline up, boy, it really had uh, paid off spiritually. Right now, would you write that down or take a mental note, commit that to the Lord and, and grow? Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And Lord, this world is uh, tempts us. It so desires to capture our attention and to capture our affections. And you tell us we are to set our minds on things above, set our affections on things above where Christ, where our life is seated with Christ, hidden with Christ at the right hand of the Father, our real life. Who we really are uh, is, is in heaven. And so, Lord, may we, may we put our, our effort 
toward what is real and true and permanent. We recommit ourselves to that. Empower us, please, with your Holy Spirit. We pray. Amen.